Let's all stand together, can we? I'm going to go ahead and let the kids be dismissed for Children's Church. You guys can have a great and wonderful time, and we'll be welcoming you back. Uh, everybody say happy birthday to Rudy, by the way. I think, uh, yeah, I think yesterday was yesterday was the day, and uh, he's like, wait a second, you're all going to talk to me? I'm going to stick around here for a little while. Happy birthday, Rudy. Happy birthday. Um, we'll welcome the kids back in a little while when we uh, receive uh, communion today and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So uh, when you hear them, you know, scampering into the sanctuary, don't be afraid. Uh, don't be scared. They've just released, been released. Um, but uh, we, we've uh, enjoyed doing that, having the kids come back and join us at the end. Uh, maybe you left your Bibles down in the pew in front of you, uh, the seat or the chair. Reach down and grab them with you, uh, would you? And let me read to us from the book of Micah, the book of Micah, chapter 6. I'm reading verses 1 to 8. Micah, I actually have the Bible uh, that's in front of you, so if you're having trouble, it's page 768. And uh, there's no shame in that, people. 7, 6, 8. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord is saying. I almost preached my whole sermon from those few words this week, people. I couldn't get past it. I'll come back to it. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He'll bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt. And redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring and burn offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. No, O oh people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. The Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right, or in other translations, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As Aaron was saying, he and I were back in Kansas City this week, at my alma mater, Nazarene Theological Seminary, and it was a, uh, yeah, no woo-hoos. I just got one woo-hoo. 
just one woohoo. That's okay. Thank you, Kyla, for the support. Back at you. Um, it was a joy to walk the hallowed halls of this great uh, uh, school of theology. Uh, we were there for the, what's known as the United States and Canada Regional Theology Conference. It sounds really fancy, and it kind of was. Uh, as Aaron said, lots of scholars there. We got to listen to presentations. We got to listen to panel discussions. We got to engage in lunchtime and even late-night conversations that, uh, that I, I think most of them had a point, and uh, they were leading us in certain directions. I know that for Aaron and myself, both our heads and our hearts were stretched and uh, challenged and by the interaction and, and both the content and the spirit of the place. It's just good to be in that environment with people who not only love knowledge, but love the Lord and uh, really love to see how those two can come together as we work through some really uh, interesting issues. Grateful for the opportunity to go, grateful for the context, a place like Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, not going to give a big advertisement right now, except for the fact that there's a lot of women and men, young and older, who are training for the ministry there in that place. And uh, they are very uh, intentional about equipping and shaping people for ministry. And so you can pray for NTS uh, when you think of it. Um, we were challenged, but undoubtedly, the greatest challenge, and there were, there were actually a couple, a few conversations going on at this conference. There was one up on the platform. That was one sort of conversation, although it was more monological, I guess, a little bit of panel discussion. And then there were uh, another conversation going on in the hallways. You know, what did you think of that? Uh, did you understand that? That guy's way off base. You know, what's going on? And then there was a third conversation going on on Twitter. And... Uh, that was probably the most fun to watch because people are a little bit less shy when they're, you know, just typing into their phones. So there are all sorts of interesting comments going on there. But one of the main comments that came through on Twitter was, okay, now the challenge of what's happened is taking what we've learned here in this place and all the things that we've talked about and, and, and taking it back, the takeaways from this conference, back to our places of ministry. Back to the context in which we live and operate. Back to the people with whom we get to stand in front of and among as we seek to, to serve Christ and honor God in the communities in which we live. And make sure that those concepts and ideas that we, we're sharing are filtering down and finding application in our, our, the life of the church and in our everyday lives in the world in which we live. And that's not an easy thing to do. So we'll be talking about how we do that. But that's, that's really uh, an example of what we try to do all of the time when we study Scripture and when we talk about theology. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a conversation up here and maybe even just among ourselves, but it's another thing to have a conversation where this, what we're reading and what we're learning is finding application in the, the, the world in which we live. One of the speakers uh, at this conference talked about the importance of, of uh, fostering uh, ministers who can preach from Monday. What a wonderful, what a wonderful comment to preach on Sunday for Monday, to think about the reality that each of us will leave this place pretty quickly and enter into a world Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, Monday to Sunday, 
It looks a whole lot different than this. And are we finding ways to take what we're learning and reading and find application on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week? And undoubtedly, that is the case with all of Scripture, but, but in particular in these weeks with this passage from Micah chapter, chapter 6. We've been spending some time with it. This is our third week, actually. We took last week off as we had our missionary friends here. But this is our third week just sort of hanging out in Micah chapter 6. And if this is your first of those weeks, then I'm glad you finally got here today to hear it. Um, but we've been reading and thinking about it. And part of my reason for having us sort of camp out here in Micah chapter 6 for these weeks was because of the fact that this is just one of those classic portions of Scripture that may be new, actually, to some of us. And I just wanted us to, I just wanted us to hear it. I just want us to read it like three weeks out of four and allow it to dwell in us richly, as Paul says about the Word of God to the Colossian church. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. I just, I just really wanted this passage and all that's in it to, to get into us and, and for us to get to know it and, again, to read it out loud a few times and to let it shape us and form us. But as we come to, this is the last week we'll talk about it for at least a while, as far as I'm planning, the, the reality is we would be completely missing the mark if, if all we did with this passage was to think about it and to allow it to shape our hearts and our minds. That's a great place to start. That's where we had to start. That's where we always have to start. We have to start with the, the shaping and the formation but we can't stop there. We need this passage that we've just read, friends, to actually not only shape our hearts and minds, but to strengthen our hands and our feet and to enable us and to send us in, into action. This is a passage that not only needs to be heard, as I suggested on Sunday, but lived out on Monday and Tuesday. It needs not only to stir us, but to send us into action to find practical and meaningful expression in our lives, in the church, and in the world. So it wouldn't offend me if really quickly now you're looking back over it. Whoa, what's so big about this passage? It's a significant portion of Scripture. The classroom or the courtroom setting is clear. We've seen it. You heard it again today. Uh, we, we uh, thought about this uh, in a courtroom setting, but we've also been thinking of it, and it's appropriate that we have a principal with us today, because we've actually been thinking of it as sort of a classroom setting as well. Uh, in the classroom, the Lord is not so much the attorney that's out to accuse and prosecute the people, but, but he's the teacher who is there to, to guide and to instruct and to help his students. So in that light, we've been thinking about this scripture not as a lawsuit, as it's sort of been classically uh, interpreted, but as a, a, a syllabus. Now, I have to say that being back at the seminary this week uh, and sort of thinking about my sermon while I was there, I, I got really nervous thinking about syllabi and all of those that I received while I was a student. And, and the syllabus, if you're uh, not remembering, is the place where we read or we find out all the books that we are to read and we discover all the papers that are to be written and all the exams that are to be taken. And, 
And then we still take the class, and uh, we, we get right into it. It was, uh, I received lots of these while I was there at, at, at seminary, and just thinking back over some of your, perhaps your academic careers, it's all there, no surprises, what the course will entail, when it will happen, how it's going to go, what will be required of this course, but the syllabus is not there just for information, it's not even just there for for motivation to sort of drum up interest in the class. It's a call to action. It's, it's the ready, set, go. Here it is. This is what we're going to do. This is what's required. Now let's go. Let's make it happen. And that's what's happening here in Micah chapter 6, 1 through 8 as well. It's good information, but it's not just information. It's good motivation. I hope there's some inspiration that sort of gets into us as we read this passage. But it's more than just a motivational tool. As important, if not more, it is a call to action. What does the Lord require? Is there a more significant question that we could ask of ourselves? What does the Lord require of those who are part of the people of God? What is it that God desires of us? What is it that He wants for us and from us. If we could boil it down and just get to the essence, the heart of what it is that He wants for us and from us, could we we know that? What What does the Lord require of those who've been brought into the family of God? We need to understand, see the context, make sure we understand that Micah is not talking here about a means to achieving this belonging to the people of God. He's not talking about doing certain things in order to become God's, part of God's family. These folks that he, were writing to, that he was writing to, the Israelite community, were God's people. They, they were God's people. They were his covenant family. And those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ in, in our context are those that we understand to be a part of God's family. So God is saying now to them and to us, you are a part of my family and this is how you are to live. This is what is required of you. Does this relationship you have with God have any expectations for daily life? And the answer from the text is an emphatic yes. The call for action to the people of Israel, that original context. And we haven't spent a whole lot of time with the broader context of the book of Micah, but I'd invite you to look back over it because before and after these verses, there's, there's a swing back and forth at least three times where Micah writes of God's judgment on the people because they have, they have drifted from their covenant relationship with God. They begin to act in very unjust ways, and we've noted some of those. They begin to act in ways that are counter to what God would want for the world and for his community of people. They begin to, 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 to threaten, really, to, to leave this covenant relationship in which God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. They're no longer living in that relationship. God is extending himself to them reaching to them, helping them, wanting them to find their way back. And whether we find ourselves in danger of departing from our covenant relationship with the Lord, whether we are just seeking to know more clearly and with greater clarity as to what that sort of covenant relationship might look like, or whether there's even some here this morning who are not yet 
a part of the family of God, but who would be curious as to what that relationship might look like. Here in these words, Micah gives us some clear calls to action. Let me just suggest a few this morning for us to to not only think about, but hopefully to put into action. First of all, Micah 6 is, is a call for us to take God seriously. I don't have these on the screen, but if you want to write them down, I'd encourage you to. Just to, a call to take God seriously. And this is that first line. Listen, listen, Micah says, to what the Lord is saying right at the beginning of chapter 6. How much better off would we be in this life if we would learn to listen well to what the Lord is saying? Staying this week about all the voices, all the chatter that we hear and how it's training us to listen to those voices and those sounds instead of the voice of the Lord. I got to watch a little bit of the presidential debate on uh, Monday night. I'm sure some of you did as well. It's really interesting and fun when you talk about the presidential uh, campaign and everything gets really quiet. It was already pretty quiet, but uh, um, I, I only made it, Thomas was what my son was watching with me, we only made it through about 15 minutes, uh, but we, we tried, all right, we, we, we tried, but, but it's just interesting to me to hear those voices, and then I actually heard some of the commentary and the discussion and read some of the articles and, and all of the, the, the media and, and the government, the politics and, and our culture and not only around that particular issue that we're facing, but, but other things that are going on in the world, the, the voices that are speaking to these issues that we're hearing and, and how well we've been trained to listen to them and how distracted we've become from listening to the voice of the Lord. Listen, listen, listen to what the Lord is saying. Micah starts out. Take God seriously. Micah would have, have us to listen to God, take Him seriously in at least a couple of ways. First, without a doubt, we need to take God very seriously. Um, and this is never real fun to talk about, but we need to take God very seriously uh, when it comes to the sin and the disobedience in our lives. I, I'm just, I, I'm shocked with how easy I can rationalize and justify things in my own life. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm suspecting that there might be a, a, a few of us that if we were to sit down and think about it, how, how good and easily we we're able to do such a thing. To, to, to rationalize and to justify and to excuse and sort of you know, be okay with some of the decisions or choices that we make in our lives that are, that are clearly disobedient from what God would have us to be and have us to do and how, and how we can just kind of, you understand, right, God? You know, or wink, wink, you, you got me here on this one, Lord? And how, how easily we can begin to sort of just kind of sweep our sinful choices and disobedient decisions under the rug and kind of just move on and get busy again and hope it doesn't really come back to bite us is really what most of us are often hoping for. And, and that sense of conviction or sense of, 
godly sorrow, that sense of confession and repentance that God would have us to, to experience, we, we sort of put it away because we don't think it's good to, you know, experience guilt and condemnation. And I really don't think it's a good place to live, don't get me wrong. But I also think the other side of the extreme is a very dangerous place to be. Micah wants us to recognize that, that uh, like the Israelites, we have not always lived as faithful covenant partners with the Lord. Like the Israelites, we have not <clears throat> always loved the Lord with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We have not always loved our neighbors as ourselves. Like the Israelites, our loyalties have wandered, and that is significant. It's not meaningless. We have often been more interested <clears throat> excuse me, in selfish gain than in selfless service. We've often been more interested in getting ahead than in giving of ourselves. And just like the Lord had built his case against Israel to go back to the courtroom metaphor, and it was airtight, friends, he's built one, or he has one against us as well. Let's just say amen, somebody. He's got one against us. We, we are those folks. And I'm not, again, sure what we expect God to do about this sin in our lives. I just thought about this. If we, if we think it doesn't matter to him somehow, or he just turns a blind eye, or his, his grace that we love to think about, and we preach, and we proclaim, and we believe in, just sort of excuses. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said a long time ago, God's grace is free, but it is not cheap. It cost him something abundantly. It cost him his own son, Jesus Christ. So I don't know what we want to say here. The reality is that God loves us far too much to sweep our sin under the rug. Can we understand that? That, that he's not trying to get us, to nail us, to zap us, to like trap us, to gotcha us. That's not his point. It's I love you so much. We have to deal with this. He recognizes that our sin and our disobedience is what tears at the very fabric of our relationship with Him and that which will ultimately destroy that relationship and destroy us. And He is unwilling just to let it go and to let it be and to let it pass. We need to take seriously how seriously God deals with our sin. At the same time, though, on the other hand, we need to, to, to take seriously not only his desire to free us from sin, but then to draw us back into this relationship with him, to, to sustain us by his presence and his power. And, and Micah puts these words into God's mouth. Did you hear it? He says, God says to the Israelites, what did I do? What did I do? And he wants to know, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. God doesn't say, look what you did. He says, what did I do? And he wants to take responsibility, and he wants to think with these people, and he wants to think with us about how he can be at work, and how he has been at work, and how he can remind us and bring to life in our thinking who he's been so that we might lean into this relationship with him. God, Micah reminds us that ours is a God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. 
He's a God who sent the right people, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, at the right time to the right place to make sure the right things happened to his people. He's the God who, who, who led his people from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, in, from, the, from the wanderings to the promised land, who did everything he could. Did you hear the words of Micah, to, uh, the words of the Lord, to show his faithfulness to his people? This is the God that Micah wants us to be aware of. The New Testament reminds us that this God has taken another step, sending his one and only son Jesus to die on the cross, to make a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, to be set free, to live for him. If there's anything that God seems to take more seriously than our sin, it's his desire to set us free from it and from its grip. This is what the Lord takes so serious, and we need to be aware of that. And so we pray as we even sung this morning, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. We know we have them, and that God indeed longs to do just that. The question about this idea is simply this, do we take seriously what God can do? Do we take seriously what he longs to do in our lives? Do we take seriously that last line, perhaps, from that section, that, that he is doing, even now, everything he can to show his faithfulness to us, even still today? We, we've been talking about some different anniversaries here today, or remembering Greg's uh, great-grandma or grandma and her passing. It was about a year ago. Uh, next Sunday will be a year marked when, when Katie, our daughter, had her uh, surgery to remove a brain tumor, and many of you were here, and uh, you were here on that Sunday, and you uh, know uh, what had taken place and uh, uh, what a significant, traumatic impact that was on our family and our church, and we're so thankful. Here she is. Hi, Katie. And uh, she's, doing, she's doing remarkably well, and we're incredibly grateful um, for that. And we're really grateful for your continued prayers, and we just know that there's lots going on, uh, but among all the things you're praying for, thanks for praying for our family and praying for Katie. But I remember those moments, um, just after we found out the diagnosis, after we had heard about this initial MRI from the neurologist here in town, and as we drove and we're driving to Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, and as we sat through those first couple of days and then sat through her surgery and waited to see how all these things would go. And as we anticipated the first MRI after her surgery and as we have anticipated every MRI since then, she has another one on October 18th, if anybody's counting, um, keeping track. And I remember that writing amidst all this, I remember writing that first letter to our church as we sat uh, in the hospital that first night unable to sleep, as you might imagine, wondering what was before us. And uh, this week I actually saw a man back in Kansas City who I don't know really well. He's, he's the editor of The Holiness Today, if anybody reads The Holiness Today, and the general editor for our denomination, which is a, I don't know, he's kind of a bigwig. And uh, he had somehow heard about what was going on with Katie and written me an email, and I saw him, and I went over, I pulled the email up again and read it again, and went and told him how much it meant to me. But while I was there in my emails, I went back to this note that I had written to you all. And I just wanted to just share a portion of it. You might imagine we're still finding it hard to believe that this is really happening. 
but we're trusting the Lord to provide healing and peace and strength in the midst of this difficult time. So now it's our turn, just as we've asked and invited you to do in a variety of life situations throughout our years together. We're standing by God's grace on this promise that God is able. It hasn't been an easy year by any means. Lots of ups and downs on this road from the Acacia Grove, and we're still going to get to Gilgal, promised land, at some point. But we know that the Lord is and will be faithful. And we're grateful for that. And we're continuing to take God very seriously at the promises that He has made and in His ability to sustain us. Mike invites us to take Him so seriously every day to believe it. Here's the second one, Micah 6. He calls us to worship God authentically. I'll just hit this really pretty quickly because I don't think this is necessarily one of Micah's main points, but in, in this passage of Scripture that we just looked at, we actually learn about how to worship by reading about how not to worship. And uh, I don't know if you, you noticed that, um, but if you remember, it's the, it's the people saying, well, what should we do? Should we offer this and this? And well, if uh, one calf is good, then how about a thousand? And if a little bit of oil offering is good, then how about 10,000 rivers of oil? And in fact, how about we offer our children as living sacrifices? And remember, we just said that it had to have been at that moment where they just caught themselves and wondered, no, 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 this, can't, this isn't what God wants for us. We know that this isn't who our God is and what He desires for us. Um, we, we shouldn't allow this passage, and some writers have talked about how um, people read this passage and say, see, worship isn't important. It's just how you live. And we shouldn't do that. We should just say, see, worshiping the wrong way isn't important. It's bad. In fact, it's very damaging. But worshiping the right way gives rise to a life. And in fact, our whole lives become worship to God. The, uh, the form of worship in this scripture is an empty offering of sacrifices See if any of this relates to, to us at all still today. Simply intended to appease God or to somehow buy him off. Remember we talked about that. Worship was not about being changed by God, but it was really more or less an instrument or in our vernacular, it was, a, it was like a tool to try and manipulate God. It was this scorecard approach to spirituality. If I do this and if I do that, check it off the list, then I'll, do my, I'll have done my part and then God, it's time for you to you. You to do your part, and I'll keep score right here, and we'll make sure that we keep it all even. Approach of the people in worship here is less about connecting with God in a personal way and more about going through the motions. It's what the people feel they're supposed to do, evidently, their duty. And if some sacrifice, like I said, is good, then more is better. And we discover that they lost sight of what it was that God longed for them what it was that God had for them in worship. Listen to this from Psalm 51. Just hear this word, Psalm 51. David writes, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. 
The sacrifice you desire, hear this, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. What the Lord longs for us us in worship as he calls us in this passage to, as Micah calls us to worship the Lord authentically, is not a showy presentation. It's not a a formula, not something fake or contrived, but, but simple and contrite and repentant, a humble offering of ourselves. There will be times when um, this will result in lots of happiness and even some clapping and some just wonderful music and even a, like, you know, a, a, a shout of joy. There will be times where our worship will look like that and it will be very, very appropriate. And, and, and we need to lean into the reality of that, but worship will not always, as one speaker said this week, be happy and clappy. <laughs> Sometimes our worship needs to be quiet and reverent and repentant. It needs to be a place where we can create space for individuals who are at different places in their lives to be able to come and to encounter the risen God who has given us hope. Kristen, I think what you said this morning, we we don't just lift him up. He lifts us up as we come and worship. You know, sometimes I just feel like personally, I got to like get up for worship. Anybody ever feel like that? Like you're driving over here and you're like, I just got to get, I got to get up. I got to get up. I'm sure the worship team from time to time, they've had a hard week and yet they got to stand up here and sing these wonderful, amazing songs. And it just, it's got to be hard. And I know it's hard for me sometimes just to kind of get up for, for this time. And I've got to, you know, we just got to lift our voices and it's going to be great and just sing it loud enough and long enough and you'll start to really believe it or feel it at some point. And anybody ever been like that? And sometimes you just really, you don't, just don't have it. And you know what I want to say to you this morning is that's okay. The Lord wants us to worship Him authentically. Not a show, not contrived. And the beautiful thing about corporate worship, I I love personal private worship, and that's great. And there's ways that we can worship privately that can connect us with the body of Christ. Um, Praying for and with and reading scripture that's been read throughout all the generations. But there's something beautiful about gathering as the corporate body of Christ because sometimes if you're not like feeling it, if you're not up, there are people around you who are. And they're, as the Lord allows them and helps them, He's using them to lift your spirit and your heart to Him. This, this week, um, the people in the Goleta Valley Little League uh, were deeply impacted by the loss of, of one of the coaches, a man named Andrew Dark, that maybe some of you have known in other situations. Um, he's got a daughter who's a sophomore at UCLA and a son who I believe is a junior at DP and another son who's in seventh grade who was on Thomas's baseball team just this year. 
And Andrew was, has been one of Thomas's coaches for the last four years on his club baseball team. We went with Andrew to Cooperstown this summer and spent, you know, a, a, a week just hanging out and watching this, this man and his love for his son and his love for his team. And this, this week he died. He died. I don't know, maybe some of you know the details. I've been out of town, so I'm not sure if it was a heart attack or what it was, but it was found in his office on uh, Tuesday afternoon, Monday afternoon maybe it was. And, uh, and I, I had to wake Thomas up early the next morning how, after I heard about that and, and share that news. Andrew was 51, I don't know if I mentioned that, and just a complete shock and had to share about that. And all week as I've gone to this conference, and I know Thomas and the people who knew Andrew have been spread out, but all week, you can imagine, and some of you knew him, and you know these situations, it's just sort of weighing on your heart. And I, and I walked into this, my seat here this morning, and I started to sing, and all I could really think about was the dark family and their loss. And it was okay that I didn't sing part of the first song. <laughs> it was okay that I listened to you sing it, and it was okay that, that I just was ha- having my heart and my life lifted to the Lord. And, and that's just me, and, and I'm thinking about this family. I'm thinking about people who are deeply impacted, and, and I'm thinking about others of us who are deeply impacted. I got a call just a couple of nights ago from a lady whose son is uh, homeless in Santa Barbara, and is addicted to drugs and mentally ill. And she's wondering if I can try to find him. And I'm wondering about this woman, this Christian lady, about how she shows up at church this morning and how she feels. And I just want us to know that God wants us not to put on a show, but you have permission, not just from me, but from the Lord, to, to, to whatever it is that you're carrying today and in Days to come as we gather for corporate worship to be who you are in Christ and to let him shape us and to let the community support you and to let him do his work in us as we gather before him in worship. Give us this day our daily bread, we pray. The last one, really quick, that one wasn't as quick as I meant it to be. Um, This one... We'll try to be. Uh, Micah calls us just to, lastly, to live for God completely. And it's really picked up there in that last verse. And I think I have it, Jacob, from the NIV. Maybe it's more familiar as it is to me. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You want to know what's required. You want to sum it up. One, one uh, commentator said, this is, this is a summary in just one sentence, really, of all of the prophetic teaching, all the prophets in the Old Testament. If you could sum up everything that they say, this is what it would be. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And, and, and we need to understand that these are not single acts that we can just sort of check off. You get up in the morning, you're like looking for something. Okay, I acted justly. Okay, ooh, right, I love mercy, and I'm walking, well, I'm actually, I'm not walking humbly because I'm really proud of what I've just done, but, um, you know, these aren't little things you can just sort of check off. This is a way of life. This is a, a, an integrated 
daily, moment-by-moment sort of way of life that Micah is calling us to. Not a checklist faith, but a way of life type of faith. One person said it like this, writing, she said, periodic nods to equity do not constitute a faithful life. We cannot only observe racial membership quotas on committees in place of seeking racial justice. We cannot send checks for disaster relief and avoid examining the lifestyles that contribute, at least in some part, to some of those natural disasters. Listening to a podcast this week about the earthquake in Haiti some years ago. We, she continued, we cannot do hunger walks and refuse to change our consumerist lifestyles. We cannot confess with our lips on Sunday morning and hold grudges at work on Monday. This is an integrated, it's not one way here and one way there, it's everywhere. This is the life that God is calling us. Rather than offering God thousands of rams, Micah calls us to offer a thousand daily acts of justice and kindness and mercy and humility. Life of faith is indeed a walk that reorients our heart and life. So what will it look like for you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly? One speaker this week said, there is no justice without economic justice. I would add, there, there's no justice without, without racial justice. There's no justice without gender justice. These are all things that we have to keep our eyes on and lean into as the people of God. Is it something going on at, at El Camino? Is it something going on at the rescue mission? Is it something going on in our community, even in your own family, where you need to be that person of peace, that person of humility? Reuben Welch uh, had a sermon, an old Nazarene preacher had a sermon where he essentially talked about the church that's truly being the church, the church that's ready to be the church that God's called us to be is the church that is ready actually to die. The church that's ready to give of themselves completely, not holding on, not protecting, not guarding our assets, not not sort of circling the wagons, but leaning into and out into the world where there is great need and being willing to give of everything that we are and of everything that we have if that's what God calls us to be and to do. Amen? Amen. We're going to receive communion uh, this morning. And Really, as we receive the, the supper, and are you going to go get the kids? Okay, because um, I made a big deal about that earlier. Um, we, we receive the, the, the supper, and, and I just want to say right off the bat that we have many guests and visitors with us here today, and, and in our, our church, we, serve in, uh, uh, we have an open table. That just means that if you are someone who, who loves God and is longing to serve Jesus, or even if you're someone who thinks that you really want to do that... <laughs> and this could be a time where you make that decision, then you are welcome to eat and to drink when the bread and the cup comes your way. You're welcome to take of that and allow that to be a time where God draws you closer to himself.
But we're remembering as we, as we celebrate the broken body and poured out shed blood of Jesus, that He sustains us daily by this broken body and shed blood, and that He sends us out into the world to be broken and poured out for His creation. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite our worship team and our ushers to come, and I'll serve you here first. Thank you, God, that you are at work in this place. Thank you, Lord, that you are one who cares deeply about his people. Thank you, Lord, that for a few weeks here we've had the opportunity to sort of sit in this classroom and to look over the syllabus and think about who you are, be reminded of your faithfulness and your desire to show that more and more and as much as you possibly can to us. We've been reminded of our, our own attempts at worship that have been, uh, they've fallen short so often, but to be reminded of your call, your fresh call to come before you as authentic, genuine people in desperate need of your touch, Lord. To be people uh, who are sent by you, God, to be your instruments of justice and of mercy and of humility and of peace in the world. Thank you. Thank you that in Jesus, God, you have made all of these things possible. Thank you that through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, we who put our faith in him can know forgiveness and can know life both now and forever. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who fills us and empowers us and who sends us out to be your people in the world. Strengthen us. Strengthen us, even as we receive these elements today, that we might be broken and poured out for your purposes in the world, O oh God. And so we're mindful, Lord, that it was on that night that you were betrayed, that you took the bread and you broke it and you passed it to your disciples, and you said, this is my body, take and eat. In the same way you took the cup, said, this is the symbol of my blood shed for you, for your forgiveness, take of it and drink. And Lord Jesus, today as we get ready to receive these elements and to take and eat and drink, we do so with grateful and expectant hearts of all that you're doing and all that you will do. We give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.